Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by our longtime friend and member, Scotty Miser. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not realize what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Susan. Mm-hmm. Can everyone uh, hear me okay? Give me a thumbs up if I'm coming through. All right, cool beans. Well, I'm excited to, to look at this story with you today. Um, I want to tell a story of my own. This may not surprise you, but when I was a kid, I would talk to just about anybody. Um, The phrase, don't talk to strangers, had very little effect on me. I would strike up conversations with anyone in my vicinity, grocery store, didn't matter. And it occasionally led to me unknowingly crossing certain social boundaries. Um, Once when I was eight, I accidentally chatted up uh, Juniata County's local millionaire uh, without knowing. Um, It it was just because they they were there and I was at a soccer game and I was, I'm eight years old, I just started talking to this guy and my grandpa tells the story. He just watches me talk and talk and talk and then eventually I leave and this local uh, insurance agency president is just standing there going, who was that kid? And in today's story, I think we have a similar childlike indifference to structures of power uh, with I think a little more spiritual significance than my own story. This story is the only glance we have into Jesus's early childhood. And it's a short story, but I think it communicates something powerful about his and ours relationships to wealth, our relationships to religion, and our relationships to family. 
So, you know, uh, nothing heavy in today's sermon, just uh, three of the most divisive topics you can think of, money, church, and family. Merry Christmas. We're going to wrap it up right. If you get nothing else from today's sermon, just take this. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all. Right, so the first thing I want to touch on is Jesus is Lord over wealth. The boy Jesus beats wealth. So this is the second time in Luke that we see Jesus at the temple very early on in the gospel, but we've already seen him at the temple once before. Ian led us through that story last week. The baby Jesus is taken to the temple to be circumcised, right? On the, on the eighth day after his birth. And there he's prophesied over by Anna and by Simeon. And as Ian pointed out, we know from the sacrifices that Joseph and Mary are offering at the temple that they are a, a poor family, okay? They're, they're just barely allowed in. They're able to scrape together the means to get in there. And that story happens directly before this story. Flash forward 12 years, Jesus is back at the temple and it's a bit of a different posture. He's schooling the scholars whose rules might have kept him out 12 years ago. To the boy Jesus, money and status, they don't seem to matter. Again, it's that childlike indifference. It's not that he's purposefully destroying them. They just don't really seem to have much effect on him. So often, I think we categorize people unconsciously based on wealth or status without even knowing that we're doing it. We expect less and we underestimate people who've come from harder backgrounds. We expect less from people who have had less given to them. But Jesus was a poor kid born out of wedlock in a bad neighborhood. And somehow he's found his way into the temple and he's giving the scholars the business and he's leaving them asking, who was that kid? So as we enter this new year, I want you to ask yourself who you've expected less from. Who have you looked down on because of their status. And if you've been looked down on, if you're that person because you grew up poor or in a different part of town, this is good news for you. This is good news for you because the boy Jesus is Lord over wealth. Jesus is Lord over all, amen? Amen. This always sounds really funny in the recording, so I'm just going to say people are giving thumbs up. I'm not just saying amen to a silent room. Y'all are fine. That's just my own ego for the podcast later. <laughs> Jesus is Lord over all. 
Jesus is Lord over church. The boy Jesus, he beats church. This would be a fun and harmless story among the rabbis, right? Probably for a couple years. Like it'd be a cute story to tell if this was Jesus' last visit to the temple, right? If this was just some sort of chance encounter with the religious elite, that could just be something that the religious leaders could laugh about later. But as we know from just about every story of Jesus, he does not stay out of their hair. This refusal to respect society's boundaries continues. He continues to mess with the structures, not just of money, but of church. And how does he do this? Well, I think one way that he upsets the structure of church scholarship is that when he's teaching, when he's speaking to people and he's telling them about the nature of God and the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't really cite the scholars all that much. He doesn't bring up what the scholars say. He doesn't even really reference the Torah as much as his main source of reference. What's the main thing that Jesus references when he teaches about the nature of God and the kingdom of heaven? Where does he look? By and large, it's the stuff that's available to everyone. It's nature. Jesus's biggest inspiration in his teaching is in nature. When he says, consider the lilies. When he says, your father's eye is on the sparrow. Consider the birds of the air. He looks to nature and he looks to everyday life. He says, no, let me tell you a story. I'm not going to tell you what Hillel or any of the other scholars have to say about this. Let me tell you a story about a son who runs away. Let me tell you a story about a widow who lost her money. He points and he finds God outside of the temple walls. Uh, I love books. <laughs> I love books and church as much as anyone, but I think this shows us that we do God a disservice when we say that's the only place we can find him. We do God a disservice when we say that's the only place we can find him. So does a book need to be published by a Christian or by a church leader in order to be true? Well, does a lily need to be grown by a Christian farmer in order to be true? Does a person have to use the correct theological language to experience God? Does the church own the presence? No. See here, the boy Jesus proves this by entering into the temple. And the adult Jesus proves this by pointing beyond the temple. The maps of God are not the same thing as God. They can serve as great guides, but the map is not the territory. The church is not God and Jesus is. Jesus is Lord over church. The boy Jesus beats church 
because Jesus is Lord over all. Amen? Amen. The last point today is probably the most complicated. Jesus is Lord over family. Jesus is Lord over family. Is anyone else confused by Jesus's relationship to his family here? <laughs> like, he has a complicated relationship with his parents from the get-go, it seems. It's clear that he's worried his folks by getting lost and running off, and I don't think they have an unrealistic reaction after searching for their son for three days. Get, can you imagine? Those of us who are parents, can you imagine not knowing where your kid is for three days? So of course, when they meet him, their mind is on the agony that they've been experiencing, on all the dangers they were worried, on the worst case scenarios that have played out in their head over the last three days. They get there and they say, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus responds, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Would you be satisfied by that answer? If you found your kid after three days, just kicking it with a bunch of religious professors. Now, that out of context kind of seems like a, hey, get lost, mom and dad, but it doesn't end there. They, when they meet together, he doesn't just tell them to get lost. It says after this, he went down to Nazareth with them and it makes special note, the text, that he was obedient to them. Weird, complicated relationship Jesus has with his parents, with his earthly family. And this complication continues throughout Jesus's life. This isn't the last weird story between Jesus and, and family. I think a lot of times we look to the Bible just for the good, simple family structures that it might provide. You can't find those in the life of Jesus. I'm sorry to say that his relationship with his parents is irreducibly complex. In the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus's first miracle in the Gospel of John, Mary asks Jesus to perform a miracle. And he says, Mom, my time hasn't yet come. Seems like he's saying, get lost, Mom. But then he does it. Then he actually does it. Later in his ministry, he poses the question, who are my mother and father? Who are my brothers? Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my mother and sister and brother. And later in this same gospel, in the gospel of Luke, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What in the world does this mean? 
what do we take from this tangled tapestry of family connections? Well, I think if it means nothing else, it means that at a certain point, we all have to learn to silence the voice that says, what would my family think? If we seek to do the will of God, there are points where we'll have to silence the voice that says, what would my family think? We have to learn to give that voice a vote, right? Your family, ideally, they care about you. They want what's best for you. We can give it a vote, but we can't give it a veto. We have to learn to silence that question. We have to learn to do what's right regardless of whether our families approve. Have you confused or disappointed your parents or people in your family? So did the boy Jesus. You're in good company. And this goes in the reverse as well as parents at a certain point we have to stop viewing our children primarily as reflections of our character. We have to stop projecting that outward. Your children may have your eyes, but it is God's image they're here to bear. It's God's image they're here to bear. They are brothers and sisters along the path. Unfortunately, they aren't here primarily to make you feel good about yourself. They aren't here primarily to work with your schedule or worldview, or even necessarily to get you likes on Facebook. It's nice when all those things happen. But they're here to bear the image of God. Like Jesus, like all of us, we ought to be about our father's business. Our children are here to be about their father's business and we would do well to help them. The boy Jesus loosens these tight knots we have to our family expectations because Jesus is Lord over all, amen? Jesus is Lord over family. That's most of what I have for you here tonight, folks. I hope that you take this image of the boy Jesus, you take this, this childlike indifference, this childlike joy, and you let it guide you to the places God would have you and that you would not be blocked by the obstacles of wealth, or of religion, or even of your own family. But you would go into the inner court and you would seek God's face. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.